Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, where we'll be this morning. And as you make your way there, uh, just a reminder, next Sunday evening will be our first installment of HBC Reads Together. So if you signed up for that and picked up a book, I encourage you to please have that finished uh, if you're able by next Sunday night. If you did not pick up a book and say, I'm not don't have time, or I'm still unsure about this whole like reading book thing, um, please come still. Uh, I think you'll be blessed by the conversation. Uh, the book walks through Romans 8, so it'll be profitable in that way. Uh, there are a few books left in the back. If you still haven't grabbed yours, uh, you can easily finish it in a week. Uh, it's, it's brief. It's an easy read, so we're looking forward to that next Sunday evening uh, at 5 o'clock, our first HBC Reads Together. If you found your way to Psalm 63, it's page 479 in the Pew Bible. Page 479 in the Pew Bible. We're going to be looking at Psalm 63. This is our last uh, psalm of suffering or psalm of darkness and despair uh, that we're doing here in our mini-series. And next week, we will start in Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And uh, that will take us most of the way through the summer, Daniel will. And uh, looking forward to that study. But as you find your way to Psalm 63, let's pray. And then I'll read our passage this morning. Father, thank you that you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. That you are a counselor and a comforter and a keeper. That you are the almighty, infinite Father, Lord, the three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, you are distinct, yet equal, eternal as the Godhead, and Lord, Thank you how you love us in specific and distinct ways as Father and as Son and as Spirit. Lord, as we come to your word uh, this morning, Lord, I pray that you would use it to make us more like Jesus by the power of your Spirit as your word works in us and through us. Lord, help us to thirst after the right thing, to desire the right thing, to run to the right thing when things are difficult. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Find a way to Psalm 63. I'll read our passage together. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. For those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. We've looked at Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament. How long, O Lord, right, crying out to God. And then we looked at Psalm 32, which is... Uh, a confession of sin, our self-inflicted suffering. When David says, 
when I hid my sin from you, Lord, I, I was awful. Life was terrible. And now we come to Psalm 63, another Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness, the subscript says there, and he is afflicted. He is on the run. He is suffering. There is much weighing down upon him. But in the midst of his suffering, we see here how he desires and seeks, he thirsts after the right thing. And how this is a pattern and a challenge for us as believers today. When things are difficult, when things are hard, where do we find our refuge? Where do we find our satisfaction? Where do we run to to be delivered? Think of a child who is scared, maybe perhaps of the dark, and they have something that brings them comfort, whether it's a blankie, whether it's a stuffed animal, or stuffy as we call them in our house, maybe it's sucking on some fingers or a thumb. Maybe it's some item that brings them comfort. And when things are hard or difficult or they're tired or they're in trouble, they want that thing. We can tell by our younger kids in our house that when they get tired, they find their favorite blankie and with the girls, their fingers go in their mouths and they usually snuggle up to you and, and it's, they have their items of comfort. And we, we can laugh at that, right? If a child falls down and they start crying, you give them their blankie or their stuffed animal, all of a sudden they feel better. And we oh, that's cute, that item of comfort and you, you stick that in their baby box and as they graduate high school, you pull it out and you show them and warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Now, that is appropriate for a child. And we might think, well, we don't have anything like that as adults, right? We don't have blankies. Some of you might. I don't know. <laughs> but when something's hard or difficult, we don't necessarily run to a tangible item like a stuffed animal and snuggle up with a blanket. But yet it is our tendency to run to something for comfort. As adults, it's not as clear as a child, but yet it is still there. Many of us may run to something that brings escape from a difficult situation. Music, TV, reading, video games. <laughs> Some of us may run to certain things like uh, a hobby or, or working on projects, mowing the yard. Like, I'm a big fan of mowing the yard, and sometimes you just need a good yard mowing to clear your mind, right? <laughs> there are other ways that people can run to things for comfort in the world. Perhaps it's some substance, alcohol, drugs, food. You name it. You could fill in the blank with all sorts of things that we run to for comfort and security and safety. Now, some of those things are good. Music. You can, you can run to music as music reflects on the goodness and the truth of God's word. That, that, that's a comfort. You, you can run to others who will remind you and comfort you with the truths of, of God's words. There are good things that bring comfort. When things are hard, a nap and a good meal often go a long ways. But when those things become the end-all, be-all, when those become the goal, when that becomes the thing that you can't live without, we've moved from using one of God's good gifts in the way that he's designed to making those good gifts God. And we run for escape to things that can never truly satisfy. 
to, to overwhelm our suffering with something that, that numbs us or brings us temporary satisfaction. David, in Psalm 63, is on the run. He's in the wilderness. We don't know if this is when he's running from Saul or later when he's running from his own children. David was on the run a lot from people who wanted to kill him. Uh, some of it was his own fault. That would be his children. Some of that would not be his own fault. That would be Saul. Whether it was early in his life or late in his life, David is in the wilderness and he's on the run. Things are difficult. Things are hard. They are seeking his life. But in Psalm 63, he records this song for us, revealing what he truly desires, what he seeks after. And it's a great reminder for us and a great thing for us to question our own hearts, what we value, what we trust, what we believe. When difficulty and suffering enters our lives, where do we run to? And what we run to says so much about us. So our big idea from Psalm 63 is this, is what we run to in suffering reveals what we worship. So run to God. What we run to in suffering reveals what we worship. So run to God. Here in Psalm 63, we see what David wants, what he seeks after. One author said this. He says, we choose what we want. We seek what we love and praise what we enjoy. For David, his experience of God convinces him that he must have God. He longs for him above all else. And the incomparable love of God has David's lips doing what they should, praising him. So let's look here what David does and how it's a template and a challenge for us in the midst of suffering. First, we should earnestly seek God in suffering. Earnestly seek God in suffering. Verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. David is crying out, O God, you are my God. This is a personal relationship. The Lord is not just one God among many, and, and he is not one of many gods in David's life. He is the only one. He says, you are my God. It's personal. He can run to God in a personal way. We can often have a, a perspective that God is impersonal, that he's, he's just out there. He's just superintending over us. He knows us. We know him, but we don't have that relationship where David says, no, oh God, you are my God. And he says, earnestly I seek you. That term earnestly is devoutly. It is, it is active. He is seeking. This involves effort, concentration. It's a devout motivation to seek God and to find him. Earnestly I seek you. This is like looking for those keys that you can't find and you're already late. Earnestly you are seeking for the keys, right? That happens from time to time in our house. Um, looking for things that are lost. And you're, you're looking everywhere. You're, you're, you're thinking, where have I been? And you're turning things over and you're, you're looking in every possible spot. David in his suffering is looking for God. He's seeking after him. Now, it's not that God is lost, but rather through his circumstances, he is looking for God's action, for what God is doing, for how God is at work, for God himself. Earnestly I seek you. And he says, my soul thirsts for you. <clears throat> my soul thirsts for you. He uses this illustration of, of 
desiring after a drink. Now David's in the wilderness. Water is not plentiful in the wilderness uh, in Israel. It's a desert. It's dry. It's harsh. The sun would be beating down. Water is a necessity. You can go for many days and even a few weeks without food, but not very long without water. And David is desiring God like a drink. He needs it. He is parched. Growing up, playing at my, my friend's house and around our house, the best water after you're playing after a hot day came from one place only, right from the hose, right? I don't care what kind of plastics were in that hose or how long it had been sitting out in the sun or what was in that well water. That was the cleanest, purest, coldest drink of water. You crank on that hose and you, you pass it around and, you know, most kids put their mouth right on the hose. It's just nasty, right? But it was so good. David is thirsting after God in this way, that he is dry and parched and he needs God. He says, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In the middle of David's suffering, what does David desire? He desires God. He is going through a hard time. He is fainting. He is parched. He is dehydrated in a sense. And what does he need? He needs the pure water of God. And that's what he's seeking after. Um, growing up, playing, uh, coming inside, wanting something to drink. As a kid, you always maybe want something that isn't water, right? Whether it was pop or some other sugary drink, and I'd, I'd want that, and my, my mom would say, well, that'll just dehydrate you more, right? Kids, your parents say that. Yeah, that's, not, that's not good for you. You need to drink water, right? There's a few nurses in here shaking their heads too, yeah. David is seeking after the thing that will satisfy, not something necessarily that will taste good, <laughs> though that sweet drink of water is delicious. He's seeking after the thing that will truly bring him, uh, will hydrate him, will bring him what he's desiring. He's seeking after God. And why? Because he says in verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He's, he's using these metaphors here of seeking after the Lord like, like water in a dry and parched land because he's looked upon him in the sanctuary. Whether this is just an image in his mind or in the actual tabernacle, he knows the Lord's power and glory. He says, beholding your power and glory. He has seen the majesty and glory of God and he knows that nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else comes close to God. And he brings that here to this description in verse 3. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. His covenant-keeping love. I've talked about this word. This is his chesed love. This is the, the love that says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm not going to forsake you. This is my love that I'm giving to you and nobody can take it away. His steadfast love is better than life. David says, it is better for me to have your love than to have my own life. He's willing to give up everything for God's steadfast love because there isn't truly life anywhere else except in God's love, in his steadfast love for us. His steadfast love is better than life. David is seeking God, seeking after him because he knows that God is better than anything else in his life, that he is, he is more important than anything else in his life. We see then how that turns into praise. The end of verse 3. My lips will praise you. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David is suffering. And in the midst of his suffering, what does he do? He seeks after God. He doesn't seek to numb his pain. He doesn't seek to manipulate or to get even. He seeks after God. He, he wants God. Why? Because God's love is better than life. God's love is the thing that truly matters. God is what truly matters more than his own life. How often when we are in suffering, we may be offended because we think we deserve better. Or how could somebody treat me like this? Or how could this be happening to me? Our focus is on ourselves because we think that we are the most important thing in our lives. When David says, no, the the most important thing in his life is God because his, his steadfast love is better than even his, his own life. So he's, he's seeking after God and he's giving praise to him. Where do we run to when things get hard? Where do you search for love and acceptance? What do you thirst after? In the ministry, it's easy to think, oh, this is just busy. I'm, I'm just looking forward to when it slows down, right? And maybe you're like that. You have periods of life when life is busy. And you're like, oh, if I just get, get through this and, and it'll slow down and it'll be better. And you get there when it's slow and you're like, oh, I can't wait till it slows down. And you're always waiting for things to slow down and yet it never does. But how often do we put our hope in seeking after rest in a break? And if this just happened, if I could just have this, if this was just in place, then everything would be perfect. We, we build these things up in our minds. I think that this is what I need. If this just happened, then everything would be fine. Rather than understanding, no, I need God. I need to seek after him. And perhaps we try to ignore those things and, and we run to those things that are good, are good gifts, but yet we, we turn them into gods in our lives. And we run to those instead. What do we run to? What do we thirst after? When we answer those questions, we can see the dangers of where our hearts may be headed. Right? Of where we put our hope in, or what we put our hope in, where we put our trust, or things that are starting to take the place of God. So ask yourself, when things are hard, when suffering, whether big or small, enters into your life, what do you run to? What do you seek after? Peace and quiet? An escape? You seek to, to numb the noise with something? What do we seek after? David says, earnestly I seek after you. And we should earnestly seek after God in the midst of suffering. Secondly, we need to find satisfaction in God in suffering. Verse 4. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David says, my soul, my being, all that I am will be satisfied, will be content, will be complete as with fat and rich food. Now, food is a good gift from God. It's a very good gift. God could have made all food taste the same, like cream of wheat or plain oatmeal, but he didn't. Now, if you like cream of wheat and plain oatmeal, you know, praise the Lord, takes all kinds. Um, but I don't know, I enjoy 
different flavors. Sweet and salty and spicy and acidic and all those things, how they weave together. And when you eat a good meal, a hearty meal, and it satisfies you, and you sit down and you rest, there is something that should remind us of God. Because God satisfies. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He's in the wilderness. He probably didn't have a lot to eat. And what he had to eat, he would scrounge up. And it wouldn't be the most hearty meal that would quench his, his hunger. But he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Again, we see how praising here is the result of being satisfied or, or seeking after God. David doesn't satisfy himself with his enemies being defeated. He doesn't satisfy himself with all of his needs being met. But his soul is satisfied as with fat and with which food as he praises God. Why or when? Verse 6, when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. David is satisfied in God because he remembers what God has done. He remembers what God has done for him. This is so important. I mentioned this before, how easy it is for us to reflect on the goodness and sovereign work of God in our lives, but yet the moment of difficulty, all that goes out the window and we think, God, what are you doing? What have you done for me? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> how a difficult circumstance can capture our hearts and minds and our souls and we think, God, are you going to do anything? And we forget what God has done. How God sustains us. How he brings us satisfaction. So David is satisfied in God as he reflects and remembers upon God. And this is so important. In the midst of suffering, we are to find satisfaction in God. And we find satisfaction when we take a step back and remember who God is and what he's done. David says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Remember, thinking back, reflect. Some of you might journal, some of you might not. Journaling is kind of a lost art. You watch any documentary or read any history book, and so much of what we have from certain generations is from journaling, right? People keeping record of events and things that have happened. And that's, Helpful because it reminds us of what God has done. Those things that we can forget. Because we have terrible memories when it comes to the goodness of God, but wonderful memories with the ways that we've been wronged. <laughs> and we need to remember more upon God's goodness and His grace at work in our lives than those things that we have taken offense to or those wrongs that we think we have endured. David remembers God upon his bed in the watches of the night. This is this dark picture because often suffering is felt the most at night. I think there's truth to that in the sense that God is a God of light and that in darkness, there is no light, right? And I think those thoughts can creep in in the, in the watches of the night, in the middle of the night when we are alone with our thoughts. How many of you wake up in the middle of the night with things on your mind? I've reached that age where I either sleep really well or I don't. <laughs> There's no like in between. 
And times I wake up and I roll over and I look and it's, it's three o'clock. I can't go back to bed. And things are rolling over in my mind of things I need to do or conversations or, or cares and concerns. But this idea of when those times come, when, when you're overwhelmed and you can't sleep and, and sleep has escaped you because of your circumstances or the suffering or the difficult things in your life. What do you meditate on? What do you roll over and over again in, in your mind? The term meditate is the idea of, of a cow chewing the cud again and again, chewing it, thinking on it, running it over and over. Rather than doing that with our circumstances, we are to do that with God and what he's done for us. To meditate on you in the watches of the night. And what does David remember? Verse 7, you have been my help. You have helped me, God. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. It's in this interesting that David's suffering, he's running, he's on the run in the wilderness, difficulty all around him. Verse four, I will bless you as long as I live. Verse seven, I will sing for joy. Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice and exult. David can rejoice in the middle of his suffering. Why? Because he seeks after God and he finds him. And he finds satisfaction in God because of what God has done. David takes his suffering and he turns it into praise. And that is not natural for us. We like to take our suffering and turning it into pouting. <laughs> David takes his suffering and he turns it into praise. He remembers God. He reflects and he is fine satisfaction in God and what he's done. And he says, I will, read, I will sing for joy. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David finds satisfaction in God when he remembers him and remembers the fact that God is the one upholding him. He's the one holding him up. That through the ups and downs of David's life, God is the one who has sovereignly been guiding through his providence and his life holding him. And, and the Lord does that for every believer. John 10, we are held in the grasp of Christ, and then in that we are in the, in the Father's hands. So that idea, we are held together in Colossians 1. Jesus is literally holding the entire universe together. Romans 8, which we read from, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. We are kept secure. The Lord holds us. He keeps us. I love the imagery in Psalm 73, Psalm of Asaph. Whom do I have in heaven but you? You hold me by my right hand. It's a picture of a child holding on to the hand of a parent. It's the Lord as he sovereignly guides and directs us. We cling to his hand. We have safety and security and satisfaction in God. What do you dwell on when things get hard? The way things used to be? The glory days, right? I can't remember the exact quote, but when we think of the good old days, the good old days are a result of a bad memory and a good imagination, right? Things were never really as good as, as we thought. Every age, every day has its own struggles and its own blessings. But we can dwell in the past, the way the things used to be, or perhaps the way the things you want them to be, if only this happened. Do you say thanks for nothing, God? What do you think you need to make everything okay? Do you meditate on God or your suffering circumstances continually? 
David finds satisfaction in God in the middle of his suffering. And lastly, here, number three, we should rest securely in God in suffering. We seek after God, we find satisfaction in God, and we rest securely in God. Verse nine. Verse 8 says, my soul clings to you, your hand upholds me. So because of that, David is secure. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. David realizes that he is secure. He is safe in the middle of his suffering. Why? Because those who seek to destroy his life ultimately will go down into the depths of the earth. They themselves will die. They will perish. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They will, will endure their, the suffering of affliction, whether that's death by a sword or just a life that is always continually overwhelmed with violence. They will not have peace and rest. And they shall be a portion for jackals. <laughs> Literally, they shall be thrown to the dogs. And their bodies will be torn apart. They will come to their just end. David rests secure rests securely in God because he knows that God is sovereignly over his circumstances and over his enemies, over what is happening in his life. David finds the safety knowing that God is the one who is over even his enemies and that they will not have ultimate victory. Your circumstances are not the end-all, be-all of your life. The suffering that you're going through, though I don't want to minimize it, I'm not saying it's just a footnote. No, it's hard. It's real. But we cannot let ourselves be defined by that. But rather, we understand that there's something larger going on, something behind that, that God is using those things. James 1, we count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing what of what those trials produce. Romans 5 produces endurance and patience and hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things work together for good. Right? For those who, who love God, who know Him, who are called according to His purpose, that they might be conformed into the image of His Son. The good that we are enduring through our suffering is not the suffering itself, but rather what God is doing through that, making us more like Jesus, ultimately bringing Him more honor and glory, making God known. During those difficult times, we rest securely knowing that God is at work behind the scenes, that he has a purpose, that no suffering that we endure is pointless. Though we may not know all the circumstances on this side of glory, looking back, we can see, oh God, we knew what you were doing. Now, I can see it. I know exactly. Lord, thank you. But until we have that full picture, we rest securely knowing that God is ultimately in control. One author said this, Know the Lord is God. Look to him to meet your needs and you will experience his love, which is better than life, satisfying your soul and sheltering you from harm, upholding you with a righteous right arm. Put some idol in his place and look to it for satisfaction and you will be left empty and alone with the wrath of God remaining upon you. We must live lives that encounter suffering with this end in view. We must play the long game. Remember the ultimate end of suffering that one day it will be done away with. And that no suffering in our life is in vain, but rather God uses every aspect. Let us then meditate and seek and rest securely in God.
David clings to God. He seeks after him. He meditates on him and he rests securely in him. And I love that phrase, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Anytime we seek something other than God in the middle of suffering, it is not strong enough to uphold us. It may for a little while, but ultimately it will break. It cannot bear the weight of a human soul. Only God can bear the weight of our souls and our suffering. So then let us seek after God. Let us find satisfaction in Him and rest securely in Him. Ask questions in the middle of suffering. Why do I want this so badly? Why do I get upset when I don't get this? Where am I putting my hope? If I could change one thing, why am I constantly focusing on it or wanting to go back the way it was? And that reveals so much about our heart and what we put our treasure in. It happens to all of us. It happens to me. Oh, if it was only this way. If only this happened. If, if only this didn't happen. We can get lost in daydreams, but those are no good. Rather, we need to look to God and say, God, you're the one I want. You're the one at work in my life. May I be satisfied in you and what you have for me. And may I rest securely. Uh, Dr. Newman uh, used to teach at Faith Baptist Bible College. You might be familiar with him. He has a wonderful, wonderful book here on Psalm 63. Uh, it's called Dependence in the Wilderness. And I, I encourage you, if this is something that you'd like to think more about, it's, it's a great, great tool. But he says this. He says, tear down the powerful doubts and distractions that call you to question God's holy, loving goodness. Tear down the doubts and distractions that tempt you to forget what is true. Meditate on the truth of God. Refuse to bow down to the captivating thoughts that lead to gripping anger, fear, worry, and desperation. Rejoice that the creator God of the universe is your father and your God. Rejoice that this God has revealed himself to you through the living word and his written word. Rejoice that he gives us himself and be satisfied in him. May we be people who earnestly seek after God, who find satisfaction in him and rest securely in what he has for us. May we take stock of our own desires and motivations in the middle of suffering that reveal idols or things that may be coming idols in our lives. May we confess them and may we meditate and seek and rest and who God is, and what he's done for us. Knowing that he's with us and he holds us in the middle of suffering. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge and encouragement that it is. Lord, thank you for the, the conviction in my own life of how often I run to things that don't satisfy or I think things will. Lord, I pray that all of us as individuals would seek after you, Lord, that we'd be satisfied in what you have for us and who you are and what you've done, that in the middle of difficulties we rest securely in you, knowing that you hold us and that you are strong to keep us. Lord, we love you. We pray that you continue to work your, uh, your desires out in our lives to be made more like Jesus. We pray in his name.